Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision-making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick here of Aleph Insights, and this week we're going to start by discussing the side effects of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, so actually, to interrupt our own podcast just before it started, me and Nick, this is just me and you, um, we're actually recording this after we've actually after we've recorded the episode you're about to hear. Nick, why are we doing that? What's going on? Well, during the episode, which listeners are about to hear, um, we discuss the issue of um, of the potential risk of, of dying from blood clot related deaths mm, uh, mm. if you're vaccinated with the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, which, as you know, has been in the news as a cause for concern. And during the podcast, when we're discussing it, I, I think I just sort of completely dismissed it as a concern. I so just we're just said, generally quite dismissive, aren't we? Yeah, I think we sort of said, look, that we're all convinced that this is now. And, and then it was only afterwards that when I was mulling it over that I thought, you know, that's a bit uncharacteristic, or at least it it's not may not be uncharacteristic, but it's l- below the level I aspire to in that mm. um, I feel like I should have checked the f- the numbers instead of mm. just, you know, going with authoritative sources, which is more mm. or less what I was doing. Mm. Um, so I went back to check the numbers. OK. To it make turns sure. out we have to be massively worried about blood clots. Wrong, actually. Right. So okay. I had to look at the European Medicines Agency um, okay. uh, press release, which which but it essentially says that they're, they're aware of um, t- 25 cases where people had got blood clots after being vaccinated with the okay. AstraZeneca. No, absolutely no indication of any causality here, right? Hmm. Purely the cases they're aware of yeah. where... You know, someone got vaccinated, then then died of a blood clot. Yeah. So you got about twenty five deaths out of twenty million people vaccinated. Right? Sure. Now, if we then compare that with the mortality rates from COVID, um, yeah. they they are substantially higher. The, the the risks of dying from COVID is substantially higher, even if you're you know well outside the kind of key risk group. So, for example, a thirty year old mm-hmm. uh, has has a um, a seven point four out of a hundred thousand uh, risk of dying from from COVID, yeah. um, if they contracted, obviously, uh, which which is c- compared with point one two five. Um, f- even if even if we assume the blood clots yeah. are actually directly related to the vaccine, the risk of yeah. dying of COVID is about 30 times higher um, if you contract it. And that's it. Now, for a relatively low risk group. And that's for a low risk group. You know, okay. and we're not even we're not even vaccinating those people anyway. As soon as you get, you know, 40 year old, 50 year old, 60 year old, it's hundreds of times uh, more likely that you'll die of COVID if you contract it than that you die of a blood clot after getting vaccinated. And that's even assuming, being as generous as possible, mm. assuming, which we absolutely do not know, that there's some connection between the, the vaccine and the uh, and the blood clot. So, yeah, so anyway, the gist is we were right to dismiss it, but for the wrong reason in that I hadn't actually checked and now, now I have. Well, you had checked, but you hadn't just checked the actual numbers. I hadn't gone data. back to the sources, yeah. yeah and it's exactly. always, you know, the, the thing is, you, I definitely don't trust narratives and I don't, I don't trust news stories, even ones that support... I think in this case, it's, it, it, you know, because it sort of supports my, um, my, my, um, uh, you know, existing presumptions. I think mm. there was a bit of confirmation bias going on there that I was mm. inclined to believe it anyway. But I, you know, I always want to check the figures, and that's yeah. what I've done. Um, so, you know, on with the show. There we go. The data is clear. Um, yeah. Enjoy the show, everyone. 
Chris, it's not a head growing out of your shoulder there, or purple boils, is it, or something? Um, tell us, tell us about. Yeah, lead us in. AstraZeneca side effects. Yeah, well, uh, so so far I haven't had any um, because mm. I uh, had my vaccine um, a on Sunday, uh, mm. so sort of five days ago. Um, and uh, at the time at which I so I got a a text message, you know, telling me to to book my um you know appointment to go in for for the jab and so on uh and at that point um you know the great blood clot uh um panic was was breaking and uh, everybody was um was talking about that lots of countries you know uh, i think um thailand was was the one that uh, that popped up but obviously lots of european countries um you know postponed or um uh, yeah, we're reluctant to um, officially endorse the, the AstraZeneca vaccine and so on and so forth. So I was sort of, um, I received this so text you, message right You immediately the, leapt on Facebook and and in full caps. So yeah. Put a sort of, yeah. And thought, what does Gwyneth Paltrow think about this? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. So I, um, so I, I had this issue of um, contemplating, you know, momentarily, uh, what what to do about accepting this this uh, appointment and going and getting myself um, uh, my my vaccination or or not, um, and uh, it, it it made me think basically about the whole um, concept of um, you know whether whether or not by vaccines are a particularly good example of this, but whether by going to do something you are causing you know you're, you're risking your causing harm to yourself uh, or whether actually um, you know you're going to get more benefit by by doing the thing um, that is that is active to yourself um, so yeah and as I said once I'd once I'd had the uh, the vaccine um, that that evening I was a, a, a bit a bit poorly bit got got the kind of chills uh, woke up the next morning was okay um, and then the following evening was a was a bit poorly as well, uh, but after that have have been fine and uh, happy to report no no blood clots thus far. And yeah, you appear to be alive, you know. Yes, um, quite. Speaking yeah. Compass mentis. Yeah. I mean, the thing it was quite it was quite interesting though because I was a little bit nervous, not for, for related to blood clots, but I'd spoken to quite a lot of people uh, that week. You know, at least. I don't know, four or five people that week who were older than me and had, had their jabs who had said they felt really quite, quite poorly. So I had a, I had a cluster of people, um, you know, who said, oh, yeah, I had my jab. It was, you know, I, I was wiped out for a couple of days or something. So I was did thinking, they say Ooh. that all of the blood in their body had turned into one black <laughs> That's right. It was mass. just it was just a coagulated <laughs> lump of <laughs> giant scab. It's barely and, a person <laughs> anymore, just a yeah, just a, a, right. a, a huge blood clot. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, is it worth saying that the this blood clot thing is a total load of crap? Uh I think it's I, I think it's worth saying uh that the evidence at the moment is clearly that that's not not the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because clearly we, we don't, you know, it's a new vaccine. It's obviously gone through relatively quickly, but it will have received a massive amount of scrutiny because, you know, of what they're proposing. But it is, it is different to normal vaccinations in that, um, you know, the circumstances of it, both the potential gains and the speed at which it's been developed are 
are unusually, you know, um, uh, impactful on our on our lives. So yeah, I so think, I think it's fair, and it's and it's fair enough to be uh, to be concerned about side effects. I mean, it's you know, we we, we the amount of role, the number of people getting it uh, is huge compared to the number of you know the amount of time we've had to do any testing or anything like that so um so look there's two things this has come at a, a brilliant time because uh coincidentally or not really coincidentally but um at the time of recording i am due to receive my vaccine uh my vaccination tomorrow so depending on how this conversation goes you know is going to dictate whether i i i, I go there and re- yeah exactly um or start posting ranty stuff on facebook um First, second, um, look. What we want to talk about here is 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 what is you know is first do no harm. Is that is that a sound principle or not? I mean, or we're talking about hesitancy, aren't we? Are we what what, what do we really want to get into? Yeah, here? well, well, that that was that was what occurred to me basically was you know is the the kind of um, I won't say anti-vaccination, but the the, the people who are re- you know reluctant to receive a vaccine. Um, are are operating on the principle or, 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 you know, the overriding drive behind them is I don't want to do any damage to myself. That, that you know, um, uh, primum non uh, nocia, you know, the, the, the first do no harm principle. Primum non nocere. You can tell you didn't have a private education. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A hard C, clearly. Yeah. Uh, well, that's but, all the um, rage these days, nocere. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, there's yeah. A bit of debate about but then it we don't the say, day, but... uh, you know, I mean, the Latin stem of sincere, and we don't say sincere, do Quite we? Quite right. I think in, in, is it in Goodbye Mr. Chips, where, um, I think he's, is he called Chips? Yeah, Mr. Well, he's, yeah, the, Mr. Chips, I think, I can't remember what his uh, full exactly. name is, but, yeah. and he says something like, oh, it's, he's, when he's old, he's moaning about all the, the fact that these days they want us to call Cicero Kikero, and, uh. You know, it's all this new trendy, uh, yeah. trendy. It's like people who say Barcelona. I'm going to Barcelona. Are you? Oh, that's nice. Okay. Um, anyway, well, hold the on. point is, yeah, yeah. But I, sorry, because I remember at university, um, a classics person saying to me, yeah, that her teacher's always on about how it's got to be Kikero. So, 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 yeah. What is it? Is it Cicero or Kikero? Well, but if you I, said Kikero, you would get a Kikero from me, yeah. frankly. Uh, yeah, but I think, I think, I think the the latest state of scholarship. Is yeah. that the Romans used a hard C, so far okay. as we can tell? So Kikero sounds like. And by the way, not even in Spain, yeah, Barcelona. English people talking about Barcelona, um, but also even in Spain, often in in many parts of Spain, they wouldn't say Barcelona; they would just say Barcelona. Um, but here's the question: as an English speaker, should you be saying chorizo? I mean, should you go? Be, this is a slider, mm. right? Should you it's be saying chorizo? Should you be going right at the other end of the scale and saying chorizo? Or yeah. somewhere in the middle, chorizo. What, what was the anyway? I'm just gonna. I'll, yeah, I'll, well, that's, that's, a, that's a topic for another another podcast. <laughs> yeah, but how, my, my, how... I know. I'll tell you that my desire for um, for authenticity, uh, in other words, my desire to want to say it in an English way, mm. is is I'm afraid trumped by my desire to look like one of the middle class cognoscenti. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so and so I, I'm afraid actually, I always anyway. get it wrong and say uh, and say something like chorizo, I think, which mm. sort of um, slightly sits on the fence a bit. But uh, yeah, but it is um, it's a thorny problem. And I think it's fine if if it's a food that we've had for ages long enough for there to be an anglicization. Yeah. But this is not just chorizo, chorizo just really uh, grates in my ears. Yeah. You know, unless Spice, I even get the whole sausage. Group. 
spices such. Let's not even get into the whole bruschetta yeah. debate. Anyway, I feel that we've gone off at a tangent. Yeah, um, it's good. It's good. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was that. That was that podcast. What are we doing now? <laughs> what were we talking should, about? Should, should we stick to the English anyway? Of, <laughs> of first, do no harm. Primo oh yes, there we go. That well, I anyway, that. I mean the point. The point is right. Well, Hippocrates wasn't Latin anyway, was he? He was Greek. So Greek. you know, there yeah. you go. Um, and and in fact, he never he never said that in in the, in the you know do you mean original... Hippocrates? Yeah, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, he. Um, uh, it wasn't actually in the in the, Hipp- the original Hippocratic oath anyway. It was in uh, um, his uh, of epidemics, I, I believe. Um, okay. but, th- but there we go. That's all. All an aside. The point is, is it a sensible thing to uh, t- to opt for to say, okay, well, you know, let's f- before we do anything else, let's not damage our let's not damage ourselves uh, before we worry about the you know the potential benefit for something. And yeah. and to me, as a pure as a pure principle, that's obviously utter nonsense. I mean, not only is it utter nonsense, it, like no medicine would be able to, or very little medicine would be able to be. Practiced. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to do any surgery. Yeah, you know, quite. which is stabbing people to life. Quite, and 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 an injection itself, right? Any any injection, mm. okay, it, it stabs you in the arm first. You know that bit's going to hurt. You know, never mind what the side effects are. Um, so, um, so yes, I, th- I, but, but, you know, is there something, is, is the spirit of, of, uh, is something to it? that, that principle, um, sensible? Uh, Nick. Yeah. It might be worth trying to define what we mean by this. I think it, I, so I, the way in my mind now, I, I don't know, I mean, then people, some people might think there's a distinction, but in my mind, what we're talking about here is what's usually called the precautionary principle, which is that you should uh, not take a course of action or you should presume against taking a course of action that might do harm if you could just leave things alone, right? So in, in other words, you, you, if you, by doing something, you might lead to some irreversible side effect, then you should be pretty sure that, that what you're doing is, is the right thing before you go ahead and do it. That's that's broadly, I think, the state a, a statement of the precautionary principle. Um, don't do it. Don't look before you leap, essentially, you know, and we're, we're in a situation where, you know, you're, the ground you're on might be on fire, but you should still look before you leap in case you're leaping off a cliff kind of thing. I, th- I think that's that's the gist of it. The reason that why I'm being expressing it in a slightly way of uh, hand wavy, vague type way is because actually it is quite hard to make to formulate this in a in a in a way that it makes sense from a decision theory point of view so it's, it's very hard to sort of formalize what exactly this is getting at so um it, it enshrines an idea which is called the acts and omissions doctrine which I, a guy called jonathan glover philosopher uh, wrote quite a lot about in a book called causing death and saving lives which is a really fantastic work of philosophy which i highly recommend but the act and omissions doctrine says that there's a relevant difference between acting and failing to act. So, um, you know, it says that uh, if if you, um, you know, if you take the trolley problem, you know, classic five people on one line, 
train's going to hit them do you do you press a button and make the train go in a different direction um that that you are in some sense culpable for the death of that one person it might be justifiable but that by pressing that button you're culpable for the death of that one person which you did to try and save those five people um in a way that you wouldn't be if for example um you know you you were standing on the button and you, and uh it the train was going to divert anyway but you didn't do anything you know even if you could you could have lifted your foot off the pedal but you didn't that would be an, an omission right so or more perhaps more kind of dramatically uh if you you know there's not really a difference between let, drowning someone pushing someone into uh the water and letting them drown um and not saving someone if you could from drowning so the the, the idea is that there is a distinction that's what the acts and the missions doctrine says right it says that there's a difference between acting and failing to act the problem is it's really really hard to try and make this work consistently to try and say that there's such a thing as an act so in the, in this context in the context of covid we want to say that the act is vaccinating people and the omission is not doing it right and the the thing you're worried about by by doing the act which is oh, well maybe we're giving people blood clots um that's the harm that we're doing we're going to look at the cost of that we're not going to worry too much about the cost of not doing it right because our presumption is let's not do it because because vaccinating unless we can be sure that vaccinating isn't in any way harmful uh, and the omission is not doing it right and it says that there's a distinction there uh it says that there's a moral difference between between in one you know do, do, do the vaccine some people get blood clots it's your fault but if you don't act now we know that a whole bunch of other people will get covid right maybe die but that's that's not your fault anymore that's that's what the act and emissions doctrine says it says it's not your fault because you didn't you're not the one who gave them covid but you would be the one who gave them a blood clot if you vaccinated them and the problem is like there's not really any moral frameworks where that distinction actually makes any sense i mean i mean if you know not giving someone a vaccine when you could is not is is no more or less of an action you know what you you could you could sort of uh you can arbitrarily reframe it and flip it around and say well i tell you what we're going to give all these people um exposure to covid right they're all hiding at home but we're going to push them out into the streets and let them get covid unless you explicitly stop that happening and give them a vaccine so you just flip it flip it round, you know and say um and and uh and, and turn the act into an omission and and hey presto you know in theory if the act and omissions doctrine is correct you've sort of reversed the moral calculus even if the consequences are the same so i think that's the that's the the point is that it's really hard to make the precautionary principle make sense certainly from a sort of consequentialist point of view what we should be doing is saying look these are a and b vaccinate some people get blood clots maybe and uh, you know a lot more people don't get covid b fewer blood clots more a lot more covid that's and and you you don't care about labeling one of them an act and one of them a failure to act you just say which one of the these two options better yeah yeah that's that's what modern decision theory would say um the idea of the precautionary principle drawing a distinction between something you've done and something you haven't done um is a very old-fashioned uh approach to ethics that can't really be made to make much sense having said all that I'm about to defend it, but I wonder if there's other, other Chris might have. Just Chris, before you come in, I just uh, don't know if this is relevant or not. But to what extent does that get affected by contact with the real world and quality of information and perception of information? 
if people start making decisions on on faulty information or, or poor perception of, of information. Does, is that relevant or not? Um, either You can either address that or, Chris, go on with whatever you were going to say. I don't know. Well, I suppose picking up on that a little bit because I, I think, you know, I mean, any... Any decision, you know, the decision not to act, as as Nick pointed out, is a is a decision, right? In its in its own own right, and we, you know, we've all all most always got imperfect um, imperfect information. So you know, and and we have to make those decisions on that on that basis. I think for whatever reason, there is an element of human nature which um, which feels reluctant to um, to take take an action to to check or to change the status quo when uncertainty exists like that that there seems more um inertia uh, against that than there does uh, just letting things go as, as they are even if that you know is equally uncertain and potentially dangerous but i think looking at you know the the practical reasons as to why this might exist as a as a central tenet of of kind of uh, medical ethics, um, you know, I, 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 I think part of it is probably about, um, about professional credibility. Uh, and if you look at the, if you look at the history of, of kind of quackery, right, you know, within mm. the, the medical profession, um, you know, and Hippocrates himself, for example, was a, was a, a proponent of the, of the four humours theory, right, which, you know, arguably led to lots of uh, questionable uh, medical practice. Albeit, you know, he was he was a pretty kind of hands off. Uh, you know, his 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 treatments were generally quite non interventionist. You know, um, let people kind of sit around and relax and enjoy sunlight and things. But um, but but nevertheless, he will have been practicing. You know, conducting medical practice which nowadays would be viewed as being harmful you know that's that's almost certain but if you look back over you know the history of medicine you've had you know all sorts of things like the 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 um you know the practice of bleeding and uh use of leeches and uh you know the use of um cocaine in 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 medicine you know uh um Dr. Pepper. Hasn't mercury been used for mercury? Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Pepper was initially, you know, sort of launched as a a kind of, uh, you know, medicinal uh, sort of tonic. You know, I think they called it liquid, liquid sunlight. Um, And then, you know, you obviously had uh, um, uh, Donald Trump uh, uh, recently with, you know, hydroxychloroquine. and uh you know so so there are there are lots of uh doctors recommending camel cigarettes to to help your help with your sore throat that's that's right yeah yeah (laughs) and and you know the the um uh the the guinness uh um uh uh prescription you know that uh, that is is uh widely sort of um uh, talked about so yeah so there are lots of examples of um practices which have subsequently been found to be harmful and the impact of that on the medical profession is is sort of loss of trust in their uh, their competence and their ability to understand what's you know diagnose and prescribe the right treatment, um, and that in itself is probably you know the erosion of their kind of um, uh, professional capital is arguably 
you know, a, a worse thing for society. If people didn't, you know, if people didn't do what doctors did, uh, uh, suggested, uh, you know, look at the gains we've had from modern medicine. If we, if, and we are in, a, in an age of doubt at the moment, right, about, you know, uh, um, science and, and medical practices. And so the, you know, every, every time a, a doctor, uh, you know, or, or um, conventional medical wisdom is found to you know be reversed that that has a much more damaging effect than the you know 99% of stuff that they get right all the time and help save our lives so i think i, I think that's what's kind of underpins it uh, from a practical yeah, perspective yeah i i see it as a kind of medical manifestation of chesterton's fence which i like because i'm a you know i'm a sort of empirical conservative in policy terms in the sense that i sort of think um you know, if things are sort of working, then uh, you should presume against trying to fiddle with them too much. And I, and I, I, I only because most most fiddling with things makes them worse. And I think you know the the, the observation here would be that most medical interventions invent a random medical intervention. You know, prescribing crushed brick dust to people or something um, will probably make things worse. Right. So the 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 presumption the kind of prior probability that your new treatment is going to work and be effective is is low so i think it's just really a way of saying that the burden of proof is on you when you're proposing doing something um particularly something new uh obviously if once you once a particular treatment's been established then it's you know it no longer applies you don't you don't think about this in every instance but but uh, yeah i mean in general it's just a way of instantiating that in a medical context saying look look change ch new things actually most of the time by and large make things worse so just make sure that you know make sure you've got all the evidence before you go ahead and do it yeah but i i did i have had a look at medical errors to try and find out whether or not you know it was a something went wrong with the precautionary principle and I have to say that actually most of them, most medical errors, I, I'll get on to pharmaceutical issues in a minute, but most medical errors have got nothing to do with the precautionary principle. They're just cock-ups. So, I mean, and I think it's, I read the report, it could be a bit sensationalist, but it said that um, that medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the US. Now, I didn't have time to read the papers. I don't really know what it's what it precisely it's claiming. But you look at sort of lists of medical errors, they're generally either either a lot of it is bad practice. So it's doing things which are known to be bad, but because, you know, that's how they've been done. So the way, you know, particularly treat things like lifting techniques or the way that monitoring equipment is used um you know or or post um you know postnatal um doctrine and those kinds of things which which you know the harms are caused simply because people aren't following what is known to at the time to be the right advice but then you've got good old cock-ups you know chopping off the wrong leg um attaching one tube to the wrong tube and leaving bits of uh, surgical equipment inside you and stuff mm. like that um so it, i don't think any of that really has anything to do with the precautionary principle i mean if, if you applied it to that you would never do anything but the more interesting thing i think for our purposes is looking at the number of pharmaceutical mm. uh well the pharmaceutical um uh, product recalls which is you know the the ones that um that have, have probably been uh, found to be harmful and they they are not it's not like these are a thing of the past i mean you know looking at some of the biggest ones 
Fenfen, 1990s. It was a weight loss drug that gave you heart disease. I think that was the biggest damages ever, $14 billion or something. That was the 1990s. Um, Bacol, anti-cholesterol drug, withdrawn in 2001 because it caused something like 100,000 deaths from, from a muscle disorder. Um, Viox, right, which was withdrawn in 2005, was an arthritis pain reliever, that gave, but, but that also gave you a heart attack. Um, then Bextra, right, that was an arthritis pain reliever that gave you a heart attack, but it also gave you a fatal skin condition uh, as a bonus. That was withdrawn in 2005. Um, the, so, you know, clearly we are still issuing drugs. I mean, you know, we're they issuing limber drugs. people, though, with, with heart disease. Could they, they you know? Uh, well, I don't. I mean, the, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing that we, of course, these are going to happen. These are always going to happen because you cannot find every side effect. If you do a, t no matter how big your trial is, you don't know that the side effect is one in n plus one. You know, and and so I think what I'd say is this is not. No one actually takes the precautionary principle seriously, right? No one actually applies it because we are never in a state of certainty about, you know, that this drug doesn't have side effects. There's always uncertainty about what the um, harms and the benefits are. It is a quantitative thing, you know, and I and I, I think I'd say that, you know, we, we basically the answer is, look, d do some proper Bayesian probabilistic analysis. You know, you've got if you've got a small sample, that means you're going to have bigger uncertainty. Just factor that in. You know, if you if you've got reasons to believe that this drug is effective, but you you haven't tested it on everyone, we'll find that means there's some uncertainty. Factor that in, and then do your cost benefit analysis. You know, and if it's if it's if it's positive, then prescribe the drug. Or if you like, if it's positive to an order of magnitude greater, then prescribe the drug. You know, to take out uncertainty in in whether or not you've done the modelling properly. But but it, I just don't think at the end of the day, even though I get it, I get where the precautionary principle comes from. Um, it just it doesn't really make sense. And the fact is that people don't really, uh, you know, apply it. And we can't really say that there is such a thing as, well, be, here's, here's the threshold and above that you're causing harm and below that you're not. That sounds like a conclusion. So we do need to stop soonish. Um, I don't really have any questions, but Chris, is there anything? You look like you're going to say something. There's yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say, I mean, the, the, the other thing that, you know, applies to, to medicine in, in particular is that, you know, the, the human body by and large is a, is a self-healing system, right? You know, I mean, you have, a, you have an immune system, uh, tissues mend. Um, and so there is a you, you know there is a kind of um another rationale for why you wouldn't you know a bit like nick was talking about chesterton's fence you know it's it's a it's a system which um you know which has a certain a, a ability to repair itself and um so you kind of know in general leaving it alone things will will get better and and not if you have lung cancer not if you have lung we cancer should no, point quite, that out. exactly yeah so so if no, you have lung cancer no the fruit smoothies are some... not gonna are not gonna do anything for you i'm afraid but mm. um but but you know there, there is you know lots of lots of things that do go wrong with the human body uh do eventually sort themselves out you know um you know uh, like covid I, so i'm gonna I, I hear what you're saying loud and clear I'm not going to take that vaccine. Got it. Uh, yeah, no, that wasn't what I was saying. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but um, yeah.
Uh, yeah, your body is going to cure itself of COVID. Yeah. yeah. And that we should get some healing chakras and crystals Thanks, to help Chris. it along. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah. Thank you for yeah. listening to the Cognitive Edge. <laughs> <laughs> and that is our scientific recommendation. But, um, I mean, the, one of the things we're sort of getting into there, actually, is I'd be interested, you know, if let's say we just took the extreme anti-vaxxers, for example. I wonder what percentage of those, of, of those individuals would have done things like... Um, uh, smoked cigarettes, for example, or drunk alcohol, or even or cross you know, the road. I was about to say, or cross the road, <laughs> yeah. you know, or you know, get in a car and drive. I mean, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's. I guess it's sort of obvious where it's all that sort of leads. It's a whole basket of things, yeah. anti-vaxxers, and I, it's a, definitely a podcast on its own. Yeah, yeah. And we've, we've Needless to say, I think it's fair to say I don't think we have an official company policy, but it, you know, the costs, uh, the benefits of getting uh, a vaccine. Um, are vastly vastly outweigh the costs uh, mm-hmm. and so you should do it yeah yeah quite um anything we want to say or are we good to stop there are you going to get your jab <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm gonna get my jab yeah um i actually i also i laid out the groundwork really well which was i said to my boss who had his jab in the u.s a few weeks back and he was very poorly afterwards so i laid mine out nicely saying yeah i'm getting jab this weekend i hope i'm going to be fine and that I, yeah. i'll be able to work but i might have to miss a couple of weeks of work yeah yeah well i didn't i didn't say that but i left it you know anyone couldn't you know yeah could infer that so. you, you also get a sticker as well so oh, do you, know. you yeah brilliant lollipop no lollipop mm, well, I might no. not go there. they rot your teeth know. apparently all right yeah yeah well it's been nice listening to you oldies go on about your vaccines i've got a while to wait yet, yeah. yeah yeah how old are you how old are you chris uh 46 Right, same. I'm 47, so so yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah. Also, what was great, it was a nice bit of, it caused a nice bit of domestic tension, because my wife, who's only a year younger than me, had not received her notification, and so she was very upset by this, and which I think there's only one word which could, could describe my attitude, which was gloating. So, uh, <laughs> but she has since gone on to receive uh, the notification. But yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it and being able to sort of participate fully in society once more, sort of, yeah. Um, society and, will be breathing a sigh of relief yeah, yeah. And, and Nick good luck to you making it through however long it might take before they're ready for young whippersnappers like, like you and I hope you, you know, you're still alive at that point and, and okay I'll do my best go. yeah good okay we'll stop there um, as always thank, thanks for listening and if you have any thoughts or suggestions for topics you can email us at podcast at we'd love to hear from you if you've enjoyed the podcast uh, what should people do Nick they should give the like button it's a daily dose of uh, being smashed indeed uh, and also follow us on your chosen streaming service uh, thanks as always for listening to the cognitive engineering podcast i am fraser mcgrew we've been here with chris rag and nick Hare of aleph insights until next time goodbye mm-hmm.